When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 58, and we are recording on November 29th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. It's 70 degrees here. <laughs> I just want that known. It's cold and rainy here. And I'll trade you? Yeah, no, you you can't have it. It's mine. <laughs> Boo. It's all mine. Yesterday I guess it's not so that great. cold. It's like 57. But still, but still. Yeah, yesterday it was like 40, and it was blustery, yes. and there were leaves blowing, and it was so nice. And then, and like, I busted out my knitted socks. I'm like, I'm Ooh. ready to do this thing. I found my Snuggie. Yeah. And now it's, now it's 70 degrees. And I'm in a t-shirt, <laughs> and I hate everything. Thanks, global warming. <laughs> Climate change, sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> don't know how I got there. Welcome to Get Booked. Um, so how this show works, like I said, it's a personalized reading recommendation show, so you can send us your reading recommendation requests for anything. Uh, if you need a book for your book club, a present you want to give to somebody, um, a book to fill a certain hole left by another book that you loved, anything at all, you can send it to us. Email them to us at book... Uh, no. Get booked at bookriot.com, or you can drop your question in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If it's time sensitive, please note that in the subject line of the email or at the very top of uh, your request if you're using the form so that we can try to get to it on time. We are also responding to some um, questions via email. If your question's already been asked on the uh, and answered on the air, uh, then we will email you a link to that show with new requests if applicable, so you don't have to wait for us to circle back around to it again. Um, yeah, and that's how it works. So let's go. All right. <laughs> Our very first question is from Kara, uh, who says, I live in the rainforest of Alaska. P.S. Side note, Alaska has rainforests. That's I, a thing. Yes. I had the same reaction. I do Ooh. not know. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay. Sorry. Back to the question. Uh, this <laughs> is the time of year, rainy, foggy, chilly, dark, when I start craving a very particular kind of book, eerie, atmospheric, intellectually challenging, something that wrestles not with actual that wrestles uh, with big thematic questions. I'm paraphrasing. Um, I loved, loved, loved Abby Jenny's The Lighthouse Keepers. I also loved House of Leaves by Mark Danieluski. Uh, thinking, I'm thinking of leaving you, Marrow Island, Point of Direction. Um, and then specifies a bunch of things don't want, uh, but the basics is I want basically good, normal people in eerie, atmospheric, enigmatic situations trying to puzzle the situation out. So, okay. We do have eerie book recommendations for you, but first we're <laughs> going to do our first sponsor, which is Searching for John Hughes uh, by Jason Diamond, which today is pub date, so congratulations. Um, yeah, like, side note, I know Jason Diamond because if you live in New York and you go to book events, you know Jason Diamond. Um, he's one of the founders of Volume 1 Brooklyn, and they cover, like, lots of book stuff. Uh, and so the story about this book is that he has been obsessed with John Hughes movies uh, for as long as he can remember. And he decided, contrary, like, he doesn't have any training as a biographer or any connections or any of those things, but he decided he was going to write a biography of John Hughes, and instead what he ended up was writing his own memoir. Um, so it 
if you like films and they have had a formative experience on your life, you will find a lot to uh, relate to in this book. Um, he, I've heard him read from it, and he is very funny. Uh, he's got a lot of stories about, like, driving to random towns to interview some person who may or may not actually want to talk to him, <laughs> which I enjoy thoroughly. That's always a good idea. Yeah, that's always a good idea. And, um, and, you know, stories about his life as well as, you know, how his life and pop culture have intersected, um, which I feel like a lot of us can relate to. So, yes, congratulations, happy pub day to Searching for John Hughes uh, by Jason Diamond, and thanks for sponsoring sponsoring the show. Okay, wait, am I, is it still my turn? Um, I, I can go if you want. Uh, I'm just going to keep talking. Um, okay. <laughs> my first pick for Kara is The Unicorn by Iris Murdoch. I found Iris Murdoch when I was like, hmm, I want to say late teens, early 20s, and I was like, why does nobody read Iris Murdoch? So weird. Um, this one was published in 1963, and it's about a woman named Marion Taylor who takes a post as a governess at a castle on a remote coast, because obviously, um, and behold, there are mysteries and drama that she doesn't understand, and she's trying to figure it all out. Um, so it's like a very sort of, I want to say modern because, you know, technically like that is modern 1960s, um, take on the like governess at a haunted house book. And I think Murdoch does some really interesting things with it. I remember just like having a mind blowing experience reading that book, uh, because it doesn't just have, you know, weird happenings. It also like delves very deeply into the mental states of its characters, which I think is what you're asking for. So that is The Unicorn by Iris Murdoch. I had some trouble with yeah. this question a little bit because of the stickler about not liking books about bad people. Because mm. um, all the books I like are about <laughs> or at least complicated people who aren't, you know, whatever. Anyway, so um, I maybe took a little bit of liberty with this question. We'll see how it goes. Um, so my first pick is Burial Rights by Hannah Kent, um, which is kind of a, it's, I mean, it's not a biography at all. It's a novel, but it's based on like a true story. Uh, it takes place in Iceland in the 1830s. The last instance of capital punishment in Iceland um, was not about, was uh, a woman named Agnes who was executed for the murder of two men. Um, before she was executed, she was sent to, um, like, live out uh, her execution, her waiting period, like the time between her sentencing and her execution. She's, she's sent to a farm um, in kind of the middle of nowhere, owned by, like, a clerk of the court or something like that, uh, to just kind of hang out until the state is ready to cut her head off. And so she was a real person. Whether or not she actually killed these two men uh, is what the novel is kind of about. And so you know, you go in knowing how it ends, right? Like, you know that she is executed because it's based on a true story. Um, but whether or not she's a good person is the thing you're trying to figure out. So uh, it's not so much about uh, what happens to her so much as it is about, like, the, the public's perception of this woman from history versus what may or may not have actually been true. And since it's in Iceland in January, it's very eerie. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, fog and cold and chillblains. I don't think they actually use that word, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and working on a farm and when it's dark all the time and mist and all of that kind of stuff. And also this like kind of looming sense of dread because you know it's coming uh, for her at the end of the book. So that's Burial Rights by Hannah Kent. 
I also had a little trouble. <laughs> um, because, but mostly because you said you didn't want nothing, you didn't want anything overtly supernatural or monsters, but you said you liked, um, the House of Leaves and Bird Box, which are, like, not, they're, they're pseudo-supernatural in certain, if you look at them a certain way. So, mm-hmm. so, so I, you may not think you want my next pick, but I think you might like it. Um, anyway. <laughs> we know what you want. <laughs> so, it's Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, which is the first in the Area X series, which is actually the most creepy, it's one of the most creepy series I've read in the last X amount of years, which is why I'm recommending it. Um, so, and it's not, like, exactly, like, misty or dark. It takes place in this area, Area X, um, that has been cordoned off in the Everglades in Florida. So it's, like, green and leafy and beautiful, except that they keep sending science expeditions into this area because weird things are happening, and the scientists don't come back. Or if they come back, they are not normal anymore. Um, so we are following another expedition in, and it, and, like, weird stuff is happening to them. Um, it is not realistic. It's definitely got a uh, supernatural stuff, but you don't know what it is. And there's, I mean, there's, like, dream monsters, but maybe not, like, real-life monsters. So I feel like I'm, I'm like, I'm, cl- I'm grasping at straws here, but I think you would really like it. Especially the second book, which is called Authority, which is basically, like, the weirdest office novel ever. Yeah. Um, like, it's all about this guy who gets a job at the headquarters of the place that's sending the science expeditions into Area X, and, like, he finds weird stuff in his desk, like a dead mouse and a plant and a phone, and, like, it, it nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Um, and he's just trying to puzzle out, like, what the heck is going on in this office that he now works at. Um, and the third book, Acceptance, is the most supernaturally of all of them, but I really think that you would enjoy the reading experience. So, sorry, not sorry. Um, that's Annihilation, uh, the first book in the Southern Reach uh, trilogy um, by Jeff Vandermeer. Okay, for my second pick, in her question, she says that she wanted something eerie, atmospheric, uh, dark pine branches against a gray sky feel. And I feel like that phrase, dark pine branches against a gray sky feel, like, the book that is that is Wuthering Heights. So that's what I went with. Yeah, um, cosine. personally, I intensely dislike <laughs> Wuthering Heights. Um, but, you know, taste being what they are. I know other people love it, so who knows? I don't know how you feel about it. Anyway, it's by Emily Bronte. This is obviously a classic of the Western canon. Um... But it's worth reading, and the man, it's just so like moors, you know, like wind across the moors and depression wild on the moors. <laughs> yeah, depression on the moors. That's what she should have called it. So if you don't know the plot, uh, it's about a girl named Catherine uh, and a, a boy named Heathcliff. They live, you know, on the moors um, with her father, Catherine's father. He finds Heathcliff, like he's a he's adopted. Her father adopts Heathcliff. So they are raised as brother and sister, but they're not actually brother and sister. Um, so Catherine's father dies. Heathcliff is, like, really horribly abused by Catherine's brother. Um, he's in love with Catherine. He believes that she doesn't love him back, even though she very obviously does. Everyone in this book is so dumb. Anyway, um, and so he leaves Wuthering Heights. He, like, goes off to make his fortune, and he comes back years later as a grown man with money, and he's, like, got... What do you call it? Like, he's made himself um, dapper, (laughs) kind of. Um, But while he's gone, you know, Catherine has moved on with her life and has gotten married. And so Heathcliff goes on this, like, lifelong quest for vengeance. 
against the people that he thinks have wronged him, including Catherine, who he's also desperately in love with. So there's a lot going on here. Um, it's very, uh, like, emo, like drama, like high drama. Um, everyone hates and loves and hates and loves everyone else all the time. And it's set against that backdrop of just like cold and wind and gray skies, sad feelings. Um, so I think it's a great read for winter. It's so melodramatic that, that that's the thing that didn't, that I did not love. But I mean, obviously, since it's a classic, people do love that. And it's it's also kind of considered a classic love story, though I don't get that because there's a lot of violence. I don't know. Anyway, I feel like I'm anti-selling it, but that's not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> it really fits with what you're what you're looking for here. Um, and if you're not bothered by like, I'm, I'm 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 doing this thing that you can't see me doing, where I'm like I have my hand in the air and I'm making this like why God motion at the sky. <laughs> angst, if that kind of angst. thing doesn't bother you, then that's <laughs> angst. Thank you. It's very angsty. If angst doesn't bother you, then you will love it. So yeah, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. And you should read it anyway, even if that does, you know, it's a classic. So read it just to see what the fuss is about. Anyway. Moving on. Oh, it's me. Okay, so question <laughs> two is from Mindy. <clears throat> she says, I love to give books as gifts whenever possible. My daughter's first grade class is putting together a snow-themed gift basket, and every family uh, donates an item, which will be raffled off at a fundraiser. Do you have an idea for winter or snow-related books that I could donate um, books could be for kids or parents. I already thought of Little House uh, Winter for the Kids, but I can't find something uh, themed for the adults. She was filling this basket uh, a little before now, but she said she still wants to hear the recommendations if we didn't get to it in time, which we didn't. Sorry, I didn't see that it was time sensitive until it was too late. But you said you still wanted to know what we would recommend, so we're going to go ahead and give you the answers. Um, I'll keep going. Okay, so I picked one for kids and one for adults. So you said the, the basket was for both. So my kid pick is Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich, um, which is a kid's book that's kind of Little House in the Prairie-ish, except the main character is a girl named Little Frog. She's a seven-year-old Ojibwa girl who is... Uh, the, the book follows her, like, a year in her life, so every season, except... All of the activities in spring, summer, and fall are all centered around winter because winter is hard. You know, there's no food. Um, hunting is difficult. People get sick. Smallpox comes to the island where they live. Um, and so spring is recovering. Summer and fall is preparing for uh, winter. So the, the lives of this tribe pretty much revolve around winter. And the, the winter chapters in the book are... Um, obviously like the climactic ones um so it's really like it's so fascinating the things that i love about little house on the prairie those little house on the prairie books are like the everyday ways in which the family survives and like entertains themselves so making the corn dolls and like the food they eat uh and what hunting was like and how to build a log cabin that kind of stuff and so that's the same sort of stuff in this book the things that are most fascinating are like how they tan the moose hides the berries they like to pick the ways in which they scare crows off of their cornfields that kind of stuff um so it's it's like super fascinating really great for kids and adults, um, and really focused on winter and very cold. The winter chapters are very cold feeling. So, and it's a series, um, like Little House. So if you like the first one, you keep going. So that's Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich. I picked two books for adults because it was already too late. So I was like, whatever. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. And so my first pick is Snow Falling on Cedars by David Gutterson, um, which takes place uh, on an island north of Puget Sound. So Pacific Northwest, right? That's been, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, Boy, I'm bad Seattle. at geography. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, it, the main action takes place in 1954, um, where a local fisherman is drowned and a Japanese-American is charged with his murder. Um, and they're, like during the course of the trial, like a lot of stuff comes out. Um, 
And some of the background of this story ends up taking place during the internment of Japanese residents during World War II. Uh, and so I picked this because, like, the title is literally Snow Falling on Cedars. <laughs> but also, it is a really good, like, small town saga that relates to a period of history that has been coming up lately uh, in the political news cycle. And, like, we should perhaps remember that that is not a blueprint for what we should be doing today, um, mm -hmm. perhaps. And so uh, I just think it's a great book. It is suddenly timely again, um, and it's definitely snow-themed because Pacific Northwest. So that is Snow Falling on Cedars by David Gutterson. Or maybe it's Gutterson. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, having never said it out loud, as yeah. is our curse. Indeed. <laughs> All right, so my next pick hasn't come out yet, but it comes out next week, so I thought that was close enough. It's it comes out on December 6th, and it's Christmas Days, 12 Stories and 12 Feasts for 12 Days, um, and it's by Jeanette Winterson, which, ah, I'm so excited about this. I love I love that this exists. So um, Jeanette Winterson is a, a super well-known uh, English, yeah, English author. She wrote uh, Why Be Happy When You Can Be Normal, uh, which is a memoir, and Oranges Aren't the Only Fruit. Um, which is kind of semi-autobiographical novel. Anyway, so apparently, this is like the greatest tidbit about Jeanette Winterson ever. Apparently, she writes a new Christmas story, like, every year. Like, this is a thing that she does with herself, which is just so... It, she just doesn't strike me as the type, but I don't know. I love that that's real. Um, and she's collected 12 of them for this uh, book, plus one, uh, which is like a personal story of her own memories from Christmas. But the 12 stories themselves are... Um, fiction, and they're more like Christmas carol-y, uh, a little bit supernatural, kind of creepy, a little spooky, maybe a little eerie, uh, less like wonder and joy of Christmas and more like eerie spookiness of Christmas, where like maybe the trees are alive, who knows? Um, there might also be like fairies outside who wish you not well. Um, and there are recipes also. Uh, and if you follow Jeanette Winterson on social media, the way that I discovered her on Twitter was because people were retweeting her like she had killed a rabbit in her garden that was eating her plants, and then uh, her solution to, like, what do I do with this thing was to eat it. So she was, like, live-tweeting the process of, like, gutting and skinning and then cooking this rabbit into a stew, and I just thought that was funny. So her, um, I'm interested in what recipe she's including in her 12 feasts section. Um, but, so, yeah, it's uh, obviously thematically appropriate. Jeanette Winterson is an awesome writer, and I assume a good cook because she knows how to dress a rabbit who knows how to do that anymore? <laughs> it's just amazing. Uh, so yeah, so that's 12 Days, um, 12 Stories, and 12 Feasts by Jeanette Winterson. My second pick is the book that was always the stocking stuffer for the office party recommendation when I worked, worked at the bookstore, and it is Holidays on Ice by David Sedaris. Um, it, they've been updating it with new stories. Maybe there's a newer one? I don't know. Anyway... David Sedaris is hilarious, if you were not aware. Um, and he has written some holiday... He co they collected some of his holiday-themed stories. So, like, they include such gems as, you know, his time as a Macy's elf. Um, because <laughs> he is, in fact, very short. Like, if you've ever seen him in person, you're, like, not surprised by that. Um, and then, you know, like explaining the Easter Bunny to people from France and what happens when you've been locked out in a snowstorm. Um, 
and like, you know, all kinds of just hijinks, holiday hijinks. Not all of them are Christmas, um, but a bunch of them are. And so I think that it is like I it was it was. It was our go-to pick for like, I need a book for the office holiday gift basket. And like this is always the book that um that I gave to people and it worked out very well. So it's very funny. It's not like I'm like a little glad that we are past the deadline because like me, perhaps he's not entirely inappropriate um, for a, a school thing, but I, everybody should read this collection. It's so funny. Uh, Holidays on Ice by David Sedaris. Okay. Oh, it's me, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, the next question is from Joan. I read across all genres, but mysteries are my first love. Lately, I have been devouring suspenseful mysteries. I especially like books told in alternating points of view, like Girl on a Train by Paula Hawkins, uh, mysteries that alternate between past and present, like Looking for Elizabeth by Emma Healy or The Daughter by Jane Shemilt. If you could recommend some books like the ones mentioned above, that would be great. I am going to recommend to you a book that has, like, been lost, sort of, Nobody knows about this book, apparently. Well, probably some of you do, and you'll be excited to hear me say it. It is Laura by Vera Caspery, which is like a total old-school classic noir book. Um, it was first published in 1942. It was reprinted in 2005 by the Feminist Press, um, and it is about a woman named Laura Hunt who was like like by all appearances the ideal woman like she's beautiful and elegant and ambitious and mysterious and nobody can resist her uh and and she's been murdered and this NYPD detective is like falling in love with her as he tries to uncover her murderer um except that da, 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 there's a twist um so <laughs> it is a lot of like, different people and sinister things, and you're not really sure, like, what has actually happened, which I think uh, Girl on the Train accomplishes, um, or it's similar to Girl on the Train. And there was actually a really great movie made of it uh, that um, I also recommend that you watch. So that is Laura by Vera Caspery. Okay, my first pick is The Girl Before by Rena Olsen, um, which I picked because of the time alternating thing you said that you liked. It, the chapters alternate between uh, then and now, like that's just what they're called, and so it's just past and present. Uh, you don't ever know exactly exactly when. Um, so the book's main character is Clara. She is at home. Uh, she's married. She's at home with her kid. She's like brushing her daughter's hair or something like that. And she and like the house is invaded by police and she's taken off um, away from her family and put in a room and interrogated. And uh, the last thing that she remembers when she's leaving her house is her husband yelling at her to say nothing, to say nothing. And so obviously something's, go something's weird in their house. Um, and so you're alternating between her in this small box of a room being questioned and then her memories of growing up. Um, she was raised with her sisters by characters called Mama and Papa G. Uh, she grows up, she becomes like, you know, an educated young woman. She gets, she falls in love with her adoptive parent's son, um, and has a family and all of that. And then the cops call her a different name, accuse her and, or they accuse her husband of really horrible crimes and she has no idea what they're talking about. So she's sitting in this, um, cell and she starts to question the things that she thought she knew to be true about her life and her memories and her childhood and her husband. Uh, and I'm not going to go any farther because of spoilers. So, yeah, it's a fast-paced, super fast-paced mystery thriller, and it's got that back-and-forth thing that I think that you'll like, and you'll get through it, like, so quick in a day. So it's The Girl Before by Rena Olson. 
Rena? Rena. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> um, that was your first instinct, Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, my second pick is related to the Emma Healy book that you mentioned. Um, it is Turn of Mind by Alice LaPlante. And it is about a woman named Jennifer White who is a surgeon um, in the early grips of Alzheimer's. And her best friend, Amanda, has been murdered and her body has been, like, disfigured in a surgical manner. And so Jennifer is terrified that she is the one who killed her best friend. But she doesn't know, A, why she would do that. And, B, she doesn't remember the last time she saw her friend because she has Alzheimer's. So, and she's, like... This is not alternating POV, but, like, yeah, it's got this sort of flashbacky, forthy thing where you're finding out about their friendship, um, about their different lives. Um, the the grown-up daughter becomes, like, a pivotal figure in the whole thing. And so um, it's just a really tense, stressful, like, she's trying so hard to remember, but you can see her, like, struggling to put down actual facts and and like trying to log her thoughts when she's fighting this disease the whole time um so i think it would be very much in line with what you're interested in so that is turn of mind by alice laplante okay my second one is how to be a good wife by emma chapman Ugh, um, such a good one it's so crazy so yeah creepy. so crazy also maybe a good one for well no. oh yeah. i mean it's eerie yeah so if the first questioner well anyway um can't spoilers spoilers so uh, I just realized that both of my books are about women who maybe don't remember their past because they're being horribly gaslit by people in their lives. So if that's a thing that bothers you, maybe skip these. Um, so Marta is the main character here. She's been married to Hector for, like, forever. They're middle-aged. They have a son who is grown um, and has moved out. And so they've been married, you know, for, I guess, 20 years or more. And she has some trouble remembering what her life was like before she got married. He's always been... Um, there for her. He's always, you know, taking care of her. Um, his odd mother gave her a manual on the day that they got married called How to Be a Good Wife that she's tried to follow. So she's tried to make his life good as well and all that. And then um, as the book opens, things are starting to kind of fall apart a little bit at a time, uh, just with Marta. Hector is living life as usual, but now that Marta's son is gone, she doesn't have that to focus on, and she's starting to notice things that feel weird, or like memories, or moments of deja vu that don't make any sense. Um, she starts to see visions of a little blonde girl that no one else can see, um, and she she doesn't know if she's having memories, or if she's um, hallucinating, or losing her mind, or what, and so you are following her on this very fast, quick uh, journey uh, to find out what the truth about her life is as she's struggling to con- to like keep it all together mentally and also continue to be a quote-unquote good wife to her husband. Um, and, of course, nothing about their life is what it seems. So How to Be a Good Wife by Emma Chapman. Talking about mysteries is hard because you can't like really say I know. It's <laughs> just like, well, and then something happens. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> all right. Uh, let's see. Question four is from – we're moving fast. This is good. Uh, Question four is from Christina. She says, I'm going through a bout of depression right now. Don't worry, I'm seeing a doctor and a therapist. I'm looking for lighthearted, delightful reads, not necessarily humor. I love fiction and nonfiction equally. Okay, um, I'll just keep going. My first uh, pick for you is a graphic novel. It's Squirrel Girl by Ryan North. Um, And it's so great. Like, delightful. I just, like, stuck with that word that you said here. And, of course, very lighthearted. Volume one uh, is... It's just, like, fun. I don't know how else to describe it. So Squirrel Girl's a superhero, um, and her power is that she, like, can talk to squirrels. And also she has a tail. Um, her name is Doreen. Uh, she has a squirrel tail and, like, squirrely teeth. 
um, and can like run and jump really fast, but that's kind of it. Um, she's also just really like smart and intuitive, but that's not a superpower. That's just who she is. Uh, and I love that like she goes off to college uh, in volume one. She goes off to college and she gets a roommate and she's trying to like kind of live a, a normal life. And she like tucks her tail into her pants to hide it. So it just like looks like she has a great big booty. It's nice. It's funny. Anyway. Um, and so she defeats bad guys. Like that's what happens in volume one, except the way that she does it. This is not like grim, dark Batman, like my feeling in my pain and violence. and rah. This is like, she kind of talks to them and figures out their motivations and then like solves problems with her brain. Sometimes she beats people up if absolutely necessary. Usually when she, when she's like defending other people. Um, but the thing that I love about squirrel girl is that she can like solve the problem and defeat the baddie with words instead of always resorting to physical uh, fisticuffs. So it's just, and she has a squirrel sidekick. Like it's just the best. It's just the best. So that's squirrel girl by Ryan North. <laughs> Cosine. Okay. My first pick for you is actually two books. Uh, well, it's a series, because um, there's going to be a third one. It's Becky Chambers' Wayfarers series. The first book is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, and the second book is A Closed in Common Orbit, which just came out in ebook, and the paperback comes out in March, I want to say. Um, but you can get it ebook now. Uh, and the thing I love about this series is that it is science fiction, but it is like all heart like there's it's it's fun it's not super violent um the characters do like get in their feelings but in a really positive like you know how some books will just like rip your heart out of your chest like these books put your heart back in there and like give it a nice little massage um (laughs) and you end them feeling I at least for me I end them feeling like oh that was just a lovely reading experience um and the concept is really fun. It's about a, uh, the first one is about a ship that is sort of like a construction crew, except that what they construct are black holes so that people can travel through them to other parts of the galaxy. Uh, and there's, it's a very mixed bag. There's some humans, there's some aliens, there's different kinds of aliens, there's different kinds of relationships amongst the crew. And uh, it's all about basically like how they all got there and how they all work with each other. Um, and then the second one actually follows two side characters from the first book on this like fringe planet uh, hacker community Um, and uh, one of them is like formerly an AI and now has a body and is trying to figure out like how to be a person in a body when you are a sentient program. Uh, So there's a lot of good stuff in there um, that I feel like could be actually metaphorically apt Um, but regardless they're just really fun heartwarming enjoyable science fiction. So that is the Wayfarer series by Becky Chambers. Okay, the second one that I picked for you is a cozy mystery, because despite the fact that those are based around murders, they're always quite lighthearted and quick um, and, you know, cozy. Um, So the one that I picked is A Seamless Murder by Melissa Bourbon. Also, bonus, they always have excellent punny titles, which are my favorite. So A Seamless Murder is about a uh, seamstress. Get it? Yes, okay, thank you. Um, So it takes place in... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It takes place in a town called Bliss, Texas, which is amazing. The main character's name is Harlow. She is our crime solver. Um, Accidentally. She's an accidental crime solver. She runs a business as a seamstress. But she also has kind of, there's a bit of a, um, not a bit, there's a magical realism element to this book and to the whole series. She has kind of a magical power. When she makes you a garment, it has the ability to grant you your deepest desire. So she's very careful about the clients she takes on um, because, you know, if your deepest desire is that the world ends, that could be a problem. 
So um, she is asked to sew aprons for a local women's group because Texas. And so she has to get to know them before she does it uh, to make sure that this is a good idea. So the first person who she has to get to know is a woman named Delta who Harlow's family does not get along with. Uh, They are not friends. Delta is a difficult woman. She has a difficult relationship with all of her family um, and all of her neighbors and pretty much everyone else in town. Uh, And then... The day after Harlow gives her her apron that she's made for her, Delta's body is discovered in an open grave in a cemetery. And so Harlow has to use her, you know, slight magical tricks, but also her, like, reason and deductive skills to find out who put Delta in the open grave. And the suspect list is long because nobody liked her, and she was a very difficult person to get along with. So um, it has that, like, page-turnery immersive thing that a good mystery has, but it's also very, like... It's, I don't know, man. It's like sitting down with, like, some strawberry jam. Like, it's it's kind of sweet. There's a little bit of, like, a romantic thing going on slightly. Um, her The families are adorable. A small town Texas, like, very heartwarming. So that's A Seamless Murder by Melissa Bourbon, which is actually the sixth book in a series, but you don't need to read them in order. Um, but if you like it, there's tons more that you can uh, dive into. Okay. Uh, my second pick for you is a memoir, um, because you said you liked nonfiction, and I just read this book, and I found it wonderful. It is <laughs> The Language of Baklava by Diana Abu-Jabber. I mentioned it in response to, like, a food question recently, but I just feel like everybody needs to read this book. Um, it is uh, her memoir of growing up with her father, who uh, is Jordanian and who loved to cook, um, and she, they grew up in upstate New York and also in Jordan a little bit, um, and you know, moved around a lot. Like, her father was always kind of looking for this place that he would feel at home and having a hard time finding it. Um, And a lot of her memories, of course, are related to food, uh, because he was an amazing cook. And because they lived in the United States as well as in Jordan, there's a lot of different, like, cultures and cuisines going on. Uh, And so, and she is so funny. Um, Like, she's talking about sometimes things that are, like, like, they fought and they had trouble and she felt displaced and there were all of these feelings, but, like, she, over and over, she comes back to it with just this humor and this sort of open-heartedness that I just found so soothing and wonderful to read. Uh, And the recipes all sound amazing. Like, I will not dare most of them, because they seem a little bit beyond my meager skills, but I liked to think about what they would taste like if I actually could make them. Um, And, yeah, her stories about, like, her family's hijinks growing up with a lot of cousins and siblings and, you know, the things that they do when you're a kid and, you know, are in a big house in upstate New York and, like, have nowhere to hang out aside from the woods, uh, stuff like that. It's just really wonderful and lovely. So that is The Language of Baklavar, a memoir by Diana Abu-Jabber. Okay, before we move on to our fifth question, we're going to do our second sponsor, uh, which is Playster. Uh, P-L-A-Y-S-T-E-R. Playster is the world's first all-in-one entertainment service. So you can get, with your subscription, e-books, audiobooks, music, movies, TV shows, and video games. All for one flat monthly fee. Flat monthly fee, excuse me. Um, and your access is unlimited, so you have unlimited audiobooks, unlimited ebooks. There's no credit system. There's no buying credits when you run out. There's no restrictions. Read and listen to as much as you want um, in a month. And so you can. The service is accessible through any web browser. Uh, there's also an Android and an iOS app. You can use it on any device. It also has an offline mode, so that you can save all of the things that you want to read, listen to, play, whatever, um, for on-the-go stuff when you don't have any internet access. Um, and if you sign up, 
you can get a 90-day trial for free, and you can u- if you use the promo code BOOKRIOT90, all one word, BOOKRIOT90. Um, and, oh, also, it, it's, it's a great gift for the holidays, and if you sign up for a 12-month membership, um, you get a free Playstore combo box, which includes an 8-inch Android tablet and headphones. Uh, so if you want to give somebody not just the subscription, but also a free tablet and headphones for the holidays, um, sign them up for a 12-month membership, and that is a great gift. So, yeah, so go to playster.com and enter BookRite90 as your promo code to get a 90-day trial. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Okay, question five. Oh, it's you. Okay. Oh, it's me. Uh, this question is from Ruth. I need a book that I can obtain and read before Hanukkah. I'm looking for books that combat cis-normativity simply right by refusing to take part in it. Do you know of any books in which the main character is trans, but their gender is more or less irrelevant to the plot? I just want to see a trans person being a badass and not constantly battling ignorant people. I read pretty much everything except for romance. All right. Uh, yeah, so we have some picks for you. Um, my first pick is a book that one of the book writing contributors, Casey, turned me on to that I just ended up loving. It's called Holding Still for As Long as Possible by Zoe Whittle. And uh, sort of my elevator pitch for this book is like, imagine Friends, the TV show, but as a book about a bunch of 20-somethings up in Toronto who are basically all queer and like you know, drinking too much and smoking too much and perhaps sleeping with the wrong people and have battling anxiety and depression and like so it's like friends but with queer people and real issues. It's <laughs> how I want to describe it. Amazing. And it's great. Um it jumps around from different perspectives, but one of the main focal characters is Josh, who is a trans male um and he is an EMT person he's he drives an ambulance and is a medic um and he is like really into his job uh and really but also really struggling with this long-term relationship that he has with amy who is uh sort of like came from an upper class background and their their childhoods were very different um and they're kind of like they've been together for so long and they're trying to figure out why they're still together and then there's new people and all of this stuff um it does get kind of intense at certain moments but it's never about anybody's sexuality or gender like it's about their life and like what is happening in their lives. And I really thought this book did a great job of turning certain stereotypes on their heads, although I don't want to name them because it kind of gives it, like, I don't want to spoil the ending because I was, like, I was on the train when I hit the ending and I was like, oh god. And then it, it anyway, okay, I'm just going to stop. Um, I think you would really like it. I think everybody should read this book just because it's a really enjoyable book. Uh, Holding Still for as Long as Possible by Zoe Whittle. Okay, my first pick is Nevada by Imogen Beanie. Beanie? Binny? Uh, I think it's Binny. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, Imogen Binny. I said it right. <laughs> okay, so the, neither the character's name nor the setting for the first part of the book are Nevada. Um, the girl's name is Maria. She's a trans woman. She lives in Brooklyn. Um, she works at what is a thinly veiled version of the Strand <laughs> bookstore. It's kind of thinly veiled. In that it has a different name, I think, but that's pretty much it. Um, She is dating a woman and living with her, um, but her life is kind of not together. Like, Maria does not have her life together. She's a bit of a kind of crust punk, um, sort of like a rebel. She's also, like, a smartass, and I love her so much. Um, And so one day, she gets dumped and then also fired. So her life is falling apart in a 24-hour period. Um, her So um, she decides that what she's going to do is steal her girlfriend's car and drive to the Pacific for reasons. 
because why not? Because I don't have a job, and now I don't have a girlfriend, and so I'm going to take her car and go do whatever I want to do. Um, so she takes off on this road trip that actually doesn't start until well into the book. Um, so you do get to know her very well and, like, her life circumstances uh, in the beginning. And along the way, she, like, wanders into a Walmart and meets a boy. Um, well, he's a, a grown man. He's, like, late teens, early 20s, I think. Uh, his name is James. And she realizes that she's got a lot in common with this kid, so she starts hanging out with him um, and realizes that he's living as a man but isn't one. And so she tries to, like, work, help him, like, work through some of that a little bit. Um, but mostly it's just about Maria kind of being a screw-up and trying maybe to not be a screw-up a little bit. And she is trans, and there are, like, details about dealing with that in, in her daily life, like, how she, what, like, getting dressed and stuff like that. But it's not, um, she's not dealing with people who are abusive to her because of that or interact with her in, like, really horrible ways because of that. It's just the fact of who she is, and she's just dealing with the daily ins and outs of relationships and work and struggling to survive in New York uh, with all of its expensive horrors and then, like, going on this trip to figure her stuff out and decide what she wants to do when all the things that she was invested in are now gone. Um, so it's a great read. She's a really snarky and funny character, and being in her head is its such a trip. So that's Nevada by Imogen Bini. My second pick is one I haven't read yet, but I read other books by this author, and it also came up when we were talking um, about this question in the Book Riot Slack channel, uh, and it is When the Moon Was Ours by Anna Marie McLemore. Uh, McLemore is really good at magical realism. She writes way in novels, and they all have this like beautiful, sort of strange, surreal twist to them. Um, so this one is about two best friends named Miel? I don't actually know how to say her name. Miel, M-I-E-L, however you say that, and Sam, um, who are inseparable and also are in love with each other, but they don't know that the other person is also in love with them yet. Um, and uh, they both have, like, a thing, like, I'm going to go with Miel for her name. Uh, roses grow out of her wrist, um, and she, like, has all of this, you know, strange little superpowers. And Sam is, like, hangs moons that he's painted all over the town. Um, and... There are also these four sisters in town who are witches, and they are, like, out to get Miel. Uh, and so the plot kind of unfolds from there. Um, Sam's transgender nature does play into the plot, but, like, it's really it's really a love story and, like, an adventure story more than anything else. Uh, so it's addressed, but it's not, like, the primary focus of the book, which is what I think you're asking for. Um, and, yeah, I just think she's an amazing writer, and this book is on my TBR stack, and it was recommended by others, so I am recommending it to you. So When the Moon Was Ours by Anna Marie McLemore. Okay, my second pick for you is Lizard Radio by Pat Schmatz, which is like a... It's it's weird. It's just a weird book. It's a dystopia. <laughs> like, it's just... I don't know how to describe it. Um, the world is building is weird, and... Uh, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So it's YA dystopia, um, and the main character, his name is Kavali. She's 15 years old, um, she was abandoned as a baby, wrapped in a t-shirt that had a lizard on the front, and so her, the woman who adopts her, named Sheila, calls her Lizard. So in the beginning of the book, her name is Lizard. Um, she tells her that, like, she was left by a mysterious race of aliens, and one day she will be the savior of the world and all this stuff. She's a, you know, kind of kooky artist type. Um, and so Sheila sends her off, eventually, to what's known as Crop Camp, which is like a um, government-controlled indoctrination summer camp for teenagers and so the world where the story takes place is a totalitarian government where 
conformity is required. Um, and if you are nonconformist in any way, sort of bad things happen to you, right? So crop camp is designed to take teenagers and make them conformist and also to make them agricultural workers, hence the word crop. Um, unfortunately, Cavalli is not conformist in any way she because she's a human being um she is a trans girl and is also um you know free thinking so being in a super conformist um indoctrination camp is kind of tough for her and then there's like mysterious stuff starts to happen like um people start to disappear there's this drug that they're supposed to take uh to kind of like keep them quiet um things get like super complicated Cavalli may or may not have some kind of like strange superpowers like there's just a lot of just odd stuff going on but at at its base the book is about um black like like how the gender binary is both not real but like binaries in general maybe not so so like good bad um totalitarian rebel like how those things have shades of of gray have gradients um and so it's like super thought-provoking and she is a badass character uh but it's just like i don't know like all these ya dystopias that have happened but like two click stranger um which is cool i think so that's lizard radio by patch mats okay oh is it is it my turn yes okay so this is, okay, question six is from PJ, um, who says, I recently read Ragtime and became fascinated by the turn-of-the-century America, the manic patriotism, industrial largesse, and the seeming social contentment with the an underworking of horrible living conditions for marginalized groups. You write. Um, any recommendations on other books that explore this time period in the U.S. would be great. Fiction or nonfiction um, is fine, as long as it captures that time captivatingly. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going. Um... So my first pick is Iron Cast by Destiny Soria, which is young adult and takes place right before Prohibition starts. Um, like, that's a plot point. The Prohibition is about to come. And it's also fantasy. So the two main characters are best friends who live in the back of a speakeasy and have these, like, kind of superpowers where they can make you feel... They can manipulate the emotions of other people using songs or poetry or... Um, by playing an instrument. Like, there are different ways that it manifests in the society. Um, but ultimately, using those sort of powers is outlawed. And so they hide, basically, in this speakeasy and um, try to survive. And there are, like, gangs roaming the streets who are, like, quote-unquote, arrest, like, make citizens arrests of people who have these powers. And instead of, like, taking them to prison, they just, like, torture them and all of this kind of crazy stuff. But it is... There's so much of that, like, industrial largesse stuff happening. One of the one of the girls in this friendship pair comes from a really wealthy industrial family. Um, there's lots of class stuff happening. One of the side characters is actually, like, a communist, <laughs> like, who goes to, like, secret meetings of union laborers and stuff like that, um, which is great. I like a very nice historical touch. But anyway, so it's got a super a supernatural element um, to all of these things that you're talking about in turn of century, turn, turn of the century America. So that's iron cast by destiny Soria. My first pick for you is the house of mirth by Edith Wharton. I love Edith Wharton. I love her. I love her. So good. Um, house of mirth is so, okay. But if you know anything about Edith Wharton, you know, she writes about like New York high society. So it's not exactly like you're not in the mill towns or like in the factories or the communist meetings, but I still think like this is a good cast capturing of all of the hypocrisy and, like, you know, sort of overturning of 
you know, the sort of quote unquote, like, high society values that were present at the time. Um, so the main character is Lily Bart, who is beautiful and sophisticated and funny, and she's, you know, she's fitting with the old money, she's fitting in with the nouveau riche, um, but as she becomes 30, she does, she's not married. And so her status in society starts to, like, become more and more complicated for her to navigate. Um, and it goes badly, because she's a woman in turn-of-century America, <laughs> um, obviously. Um, and I think the thing that is is so wonderful about Wharton does in all of her books is that she like really skewers uh, these like high society morals quote unquote and you know shows them for what they are uh, and it, she's like really sharp and cutting and funny in the process um, but like telling a really intense story so I just think everybody should read Wharton all the time anyway and you asked for a turn of the century novel and this one came out in 1905 so it like, could not be more turn of the century uh, so yes that's uh that is The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. Okay, my uh, last pick for you is also a classic. It's The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, um, which is the story of a poor, poor immigrant families in Chicago who work in the meatpacking district. Um, it, <laughs> like thinking about it, my copy of this book uh, in high school had like raw meat on the cover, and it just like every time I think about <laughs> it, it makes me a little sick. Um, anyway, so it's ostensibly about the meatpacking industry and the horrible conditions of the workers in the meatpacking industry and also like how gross and unsanitary and super disgusting meatpacking was in the turn of the century in America and so much so that it led this book plus a lot of other um, exposés on the industry led to the Food and Drug Act of 1906 which was some of the first like consumer protection laws that the federal government had enacted. Um, so it's uh, not just a classic literarily, but also had a huge influence on American society and politics. Um, so it's about that. But it's also like about the general plight of poor people at the turn of the century and how we mistreat immigrants and the dangers of industrial capitalism. And it's a little bit of, so not a little bit, it is socialist propaganda, but I'm here for it. So I don't care. Um, and if you're not, it's still worth a read because it's such like a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, not touchstone. Um, whatever, like an artifact, like it's a historical yeah. artifact of the turn of the century. Um, so it's important to understanding unions. It's important to understanding the FDA. It's important to our understanding of how socialism became a little bit more accepted in America at, a, um, well, until the fifties. Um, so yeah, read it no matter how you feel about, uh, politics. <laughs> so that's The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. You might also become a vegetarian. You Fair might become warning. a vegetarian. <laughs> like, I'm hoping, I haven't been in a meatpacking plant, but I'm hoping it's better, but still. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, okay, so my second pick for this question is a little bit weirder, but I love it. It's Dreamland by Kevin Baker. It is a novel about New York City right after the turn of the century. It mostly takes place in Coney Island, which is delightful because you have all of these cross you know, intersections uh, is the word I want, of people. So you have, like, you know, the gangsters and the working class and the hucksters and the, you know, sideshow people and, like, all of these people kind of meeting and swirling around um, in this section of New York. And it also manages to pull in, like, I was trying to remember, and I wasn't wrong, like, Freud and Young are characters in there. Um... <laughs> 
And like the triangle shirtwaist fire, you know, factory fire comes up and there's union stuff and there's just like, like he really got into the history and then like, it's almost like the history was puzzle pieces and he took it and he made like a completely different puzzle out of the same pieces. Um, it's a really absorbing, really entertaining novel that like has a sense of humor, but also does not really, like it doesn't, I don't think it, if I remember correctly, it doesn't like, you know, uh, smooth over some of these things. It just works them into the fabric of the story. So that is Dreamland by Kevin Baker. And that's it. And that's our show. Yay. So you can go rate us on iTunes, uh, leave a review. You can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.